Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey everyone, before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about. Transform every week of yours with our brilliance bit that will deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I'm so excited today about our guest. I met her a few weeks ago, or as I say, I accosted her a few weeks ago at a uh, a book event up in Doylestown here. And she's so funny and so relevant. I'm going to read a little bit of her bio and then bring in our special guest, Ashley Renard. Former figure skating coach and choreographer, Ashley took the quest for perfection into marriage and motherhood with some disastrous and hilarious results. <laughs> Through her books and her viral Keeping It Hot video series, oh, do I need to hear more about that, she's built a committed mass following who tune in daily for her fresh no-fuss advice on everything from keeping monogamy hot to renegotiating a marriage to getting kids to clean the house because nothing makes her prouder than child labor. Oh my goodness. Welcome, Ashley Renard. We are so happy to have you with us. Oh, Mary Fran and Kristen, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for accosting me at the end of that um, author speaking event uh, and inviting me to come here. I basically tackled you. You really didn't have much choice. That's that's pretty much how it went down. <laughs> There's always but, a good story when we're in Doylestown. So here we go. Here's there we another. go. We're off, in, we're off to the races. So there was so much about what you said that day that just made my ears prick up. I have been married for, Kristen, how long has it been? 357 years. <laughs> yeah. For like 41, 41 years. Wow. 41 wow. years, nine grandkids, the whole nine yards. Wow. And that part of your story, the whole keeping it hot is is so fascinating. But there were a lot of other things that you said along the way. Yeah. That really connected with me. And um, well, I'll let you tell a little bit about your story and then we'll get into some yeah. questions that I have. Yeah. So the reason we're here is because I wrote a book called Swing, which is the story of how, as a perfectionist mom, I took doing it all to the next level as the world's worst attempted swinger. <laughs> um, you know, oh, like I had just maxed God. out. I maxed out the levels of difficulty in my regular life. You know, my toddlers were growing their own vegetables. I was homeschooling on purpose. This was before <laughs> pandemic. I mean, I was like, what is the next hardest thing I could do? Like, oh, non-monogamy like I I kind of thought that it sounded like little like you know upper echelon and like highly evolved I was like that sounds hard let's try that um and what I realized really quickly was that this constant reaching striving for things outside of me you know started as straight A's and gold medals and figure skating and then became this like overdoing super mom, martyr mom type persona when I was married, um, I just got to a point where I was, I was hitting the wall really hard and realized that some things needed to change. Um, awkwardly, I, I had this realization when I was in a sex club 
actively falling in love with another man. Um, so the book Swing is like the complete idiot's guide for what not to do in the swing lifestyle. Um, and I, it was such a wild story. And the fact that we came through it and our awareness and our self-love and our love for each other and cooperation and just our family culture is so different than it used to be. I thought, damn, like I need to write the story because things got really bad and really dark. Um, really all of the things I'd been doing in my outer life were really just, just a coping mechanism for pushing down anything that didn't feel great or anything I didn't really want to look at. I thought I could like outwork and outrun my feelings. Hmm. Um, and I think we all kind of have our own ways of doing yep. that, maybe shoving things down or numbing out. Um, and the, the book took off like wild and I made this video called how to keep monogamy hot part one. And I didn't even know what part two was going to be. I just <laughs> called it part one to put myself on the hook to make a second video, a second reel. Um, this was two years ago when Instagram first introduced reels. My audience grew by 55,000 people in 45 days. Wow. <laughs> and my, my DMs started getting flooded, filled every day, hundreds of messages from men and women. And now my DMs are 80% men, men who see my content and think, oh, wow. Okay. This just shifted my perspective on how I communicate with my partner. The way that you said that now I understand what my partner's been saying all this time. Um, thank you for this. And then I sent the video to my wife and now she follows you too. And we're getting your book. Um, what I realized was all of those years coaching, figure skating, all of those years helping athletes cooperate, adolescents cooperate, I became a bit of a cooperation whisperer. If there is common ground, I will find it. So advising couples, and now I'm actually under contract for three different TV shows. It's wow. like there's a new one every week. And I'm oh like, my pinch me. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot of interest in uh, yeah. Could you help us get the spark back? Uh, we would like that. We've been looking for that spark. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Let's back up for a second here. <laughs> so, you know, you're young, you're going through school, you're setting your life goals. Yeah. I'm going to write a best-selling book and TV shows based on what not to do as a swinger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it says, no, where did all this begin? Okay. Well, Kristen, it, it probably begins around the time I was nine or 10 years old when I would be reading like six books at a time. And teachers would say to me, why do you have so many books, Ashley? And out of my mouth one day said, well, I read so much because I'm going to be an author. And really? the teacher looked at me like, oh, and I was like, yeah, I'd never even thought that before. But from that day on, that day on nine years old, I was like, I'm going to be an author. Every time I've signed my name since that day in fourth grade, I've imagined I'm signing inside a book cover every time, That's you know, cool. signing a check, signing my kids, <laughs> you know, signed in return folders or report cards. Right. Like, you yep. autograph them. You didn't I autograph. I autograph. <laughs> to spend an afternoon was cornering one of my friend's moms and sitting her down at the kitchen table and asking her to go through the pros and cons of every method of birth control. <laughs> so this was probably just written in the stars. So I can talk about sex like I'm talking about the weather because to me, it's just like 
they're just two sciences that are fascinating and and sex happens to be like a little more enjoyable like pleasurable than like you know sleet and rain so like <laughs> to me it's um I think that that, that could depend say <laughs> <laughs> not always and that's where you come in that's where I come in. I don't think I've ever had bad sex in my life because I'm far too bossy. And <laughs> my husband, my husband says that me being bossy in the bedroom is one of my very best qualities. He grew up in a Greek Orthodox household where he doesn't even know the Greek word for sex. I think it's just <laughs> sex. But anyway, his parents never said anything to him besides like, you better marry a Greek virgin. Um, which Boy, I can tell you checked all those boxes, didn't you? <laughs> right? I know my poor mother-in-law, my poor mother-in-law, 11 months after I meet her son, he and I have a mortgage together and we're living in sin in, in Bucks County in a condo. <laughs> I know. But I think that what she thought was, oh my goodness, this, this woman moved away from her family and her country alone at 21 because I'm from Canada. If, if Manny doesn't take care of her, like who will? So I think that that's why, that's why she didn't automatically say like this isn't allowed she was like it's like I was a leaf floating in the breeze she was like someone grab her before she floats away like she needs she needs some stability um so yeah it's been it's been a wild it's been a wild ride um to say the least so when when I saw you at this book event if I'm not mistaken and clarify you know where need need be but you said something about this mindset that you now have started after your husband had something going on with him health wise. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and I think you said you started to think, oh my gosh, what if something happens to him? Yeah. And the other question you asked yourself was, oh my Ooh. gosh. Yes. So what if something happens? We have, we have three children, 15, 13, and nine, three boys. When our second was born, so 13 years ago this year, um, my husband started getting excruciating pain in his spine. And it would hurt the most when he was sleeping. And we had a baby and a toddler at that time. And there was very little sleeping going on in our house. But when he did fall asleep, he was in this pain. So after about five months of this, he went to a doctor, got an MRI, Turns out he has a tumor in his spine, in T4, in his spine. And it's essentially a compression fracture um, because it takes up two thirds of the vertebral body. And we had to get additional tests to find out what the nature of this tumor was. And I was, you know, still nursing my baby. I, you know, have my two-year-old working full-time, you know, hadn't even taken a maternity leave at all with, with that baby. Um, everything is just, we're, we're a little fatigued and we're wired. Um, and I thought to myself, all right, wait, what if something happens to him? Like, what am I going to do with these kids? Like what, what, oh my God, what if something happens to him? And then my next thought was, wow, what, what if he dies and then I can have a chance to be happy? Mm. And when I heard that, I thought, oh wow, this, these are the kinds of things I usually keep pushed down far enough that I don't have to scare myself with like that realization, like, oh, this is what, how you really feel. Even at that early point in our marriage, just, you know, four years into our marriage, 
we were already disconnected and I was disconnected from myself um, and in throwing myself into work, throwing myself into how to be the perfect mom who never turns on the TV, how to, you know, make the bread from scratch, like just trying to figure out what in my outside world could help me feel better. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until we hit a really hard spot at our marriage, which, you know, coincidentally, um, was aligned up in timeline to when I fell in love with this, you know, other dude at a swing club, um, that I told Manny, I told my husband, yeah, I've been fantasizing about divorce for 10 years, like fantasizing about it. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm very good. This is from a lifetime of performing and coaching other people on how to perform. I'm very, very good sneakily good at making things look like they're okay. Mm. I can even fool myself a lot of the time, Mm. fool myself into thinking, yeah, I don't really want what I think I want. I don't really need what I think I need. Um, so yeah, whenever, whenever I, I talk about that, Mary Fran at a, at an event, or when people get to that spot in the book so often, they'll take a screenshot or they'll, they'll message me because it's such a gut punch. And I think a lot of us can relate to, um, you know, hearing, hearing that little whisper from inside that tells you something that you just can't unhear. Let me ask you something though. Did the, did the perfectionism and, and let me be the best mom and all of that come from someone else on you? Or was that your own mental thing? You know what? It's that's such a good question, Kristen. And it's like chicken or the egg, right? When you're a really sensitive kid and really in tune with what would make the adults around you feel happy, or maybe we keep a target off your back for like getting in trouble or, um, you adopt a lot of behaviors really quickly and unconsciously. And it's hard to know if my parents and the other adults around me, like hung carrots for me all through my childhood, or if they just hung one and then I just kept doing it myself. Mm. Right. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. But I, by the time I was seven, I had already spun myself into this, like, okay, I, I could be the textbook perfect girl. It wasn't even comparing to someone else. It was like, okay, this is how I would do things. Like if I was always mature, if I was always responsible, if I was always smart. And by the time, yeah, I was seven and a half. I was exhausted with life because trying to keep that up, um, is impossible. And I just thought once I'm really a grown up, once I really live on my own, I'm going to have the independence to match the responsibility I'm trying to uphold. Um, and then it'll be easier, but it, it didn't, it didn't go that way. I asked that because I'm like that. I was always intrinsically achieving, but then I was partnered with, I, I attracted a partner that could never be pleased. That's what nearly drove me out of my mind. And when I finally realized that when he left the second time, I was like this, I was this, when you're saying, I was like, oh, what if, because there was a big car accident and I would finally have peace. Right. And that's when I was like, this is never, this is a person that I could never, and I don't know who can please. Right. And that's off if that happens, but I, it wasn't going to be me. uh, Kristen, I've had so many examples of that in other family relationships and in work partnerships where I have become so codependent with the other person, certain that I can understand their moods enough that I can keep it smooth for a decade. 
right? You know, and, and like do my charade to make them feel better and the other people feel better. I mean, I had been dancing this dance since I could remember. And, and that's the thing that, that when you're doing this as a child and when you're doing this early on in a relationship, a lot of people don't notice the red flags and they just think, oh, she's, she's a cooperative little girl. Oh, she really loves her boyfriend. And, you know, she's really, she's really trying to make that relationship work. Where on the inside, what we're doing is completely denying anything we know is true and any intuitive voice that's trying to come through. And we're just squashing it down and thinking, no, 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 I can outwork and I can outdiscipline what my heart and my mind are actually telling me to do. Yep. So what I'm hearing here is that we, 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 confuse ourselves for lack of a better word, or we lie to ourselves with action, you know, and, and I think we hear that, you know, we know that we have to take action in order to move forward in life. But I think what you're saying is you get into these sort of patterns of, well, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And, and unless you're willing to dig deep and look at the stuff you don't like, and you don't want to see, you'll just keep confusing yourself with action or lying to yourself with it. Absolutely. Mary Fran, you explain that so well. We take action and we take action on autopilot hmm. so often. Mm-hmm. And it's easier. We think it's easier <laughs> because we don't have to make decisions. And decisions is where the doubt comes in about whether or not we can trust ourselves. So to just oh. do the same thing day after day, week after week, um, or year after year in a relationship or a marriage, it feels safer. It feels it's the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't, right? Like you don't want to rock the boat in a new way. If you've been around your family or around your spouse for a long time, they know the buttons to push, you know, the buttons to push, but you, you also know not to push it too far, right? You're like within like your guardrails on your behavior, right? In your job or in your relationship. And in order to assess whether or not those guardrails are actually keeping you safe or they're actually keeping you down and back and like like a, like a, you know, a speck of like the light and the love and the impact you could actually have in the world, you need to pause. Mm. And the pausing is the most terrifying Mm. because in the pausing you hear in the pausing, your ego will come up and say, Ooh, you need to get moving. You're already behind. You didn't do enough yesterday. You need to, in the pausing, we are being radically rebellious against our ego and against our conditioning and saying, no, 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 I'm not going to do anything right now until I can gain some clarity on whether or not that's serving me. That's fascinating. That, that whole idea of taking a break in order to act, you you can't, you can't act without thought, but it is easier to get into those just patterns of, I have to do this. I have to do that. Particularly when you feel like you're, you're serving people or you're helping people in some way, because that gives us an excuse. It does. And we are so crafty with those excuses, right? (laughs) We are so crafty. Like I can even like fool myself, right? Like, oh no, no, this help I'm giving my mother-in-law right now, or this help that I'm giving my kid help. I'm going to put it right in quotes for the help I'm giving my teenagers, right? Um, They don't want it. They don't want it. So you can't just, there's this quote, there's this quote, I'm going to have to find out who it's from, but he says, you can't just sit there putting everyone else's needs ahead of your own and think that counts as love. 
You can't just say, oh, oh, but I love you. So I'm doing this. We actually have to ask. It's it's radical. We all actually have to ask (laughs) ourselves and the people we love. Does that feel loving to you? Because if it doesn't feel like love, it doesn't count as love. Even if you have the best intention, you can actually really be smothering that person. You can be controlling that person. You can be micromanaging. You can be manipulating the situation through your love, right? (laughs) And it takes self-awareness to pull back and go, ooh, okay, I have told myself for decades that this is what makes me a good person. But what if I stop and ask that person who I love, what could I actually do to be helpful here? My favorite writer is is Anne Lamott, and she says, stop getting your messy help all over everybody. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's sort of like, stay out of God's business. Stay out of people's pockets. Stay out of God's business. Oh, yeah. say that again, Mary Fran. Stop putting your messy stop help. Stop getting your messy help all over everybody. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> so good, right? So good. because so I often- love it. And it it's become a mantra because that was me for a very, very long time. You know, there were things that went on in in our family and all that. And it's so much easier to jump into and fix other people's stuff than it is to look at your own. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing that comes up in my conversations with couples all the time now is so often we push away from each other because we are also pushing away from ourselves. Hmm. So taking that pause and going in and asking yourself, ooh, what would feel really good in or outside the bedroom? Like, oh, would a walk feel really good right now? Like, instead of thinking, what should I do, right? What should I do because of my to-do list and like, you know, what time it is in the day, what would I like to do? What do I want to do? And for a lot of people, they are scared of asking that because it feels a little like Pandora's box, right? Because we all have desires, we all have dreams. We all have needs that we've pushed down so hard and like really pressed, right? We're like, okay, that's never springing back up because I really, I packed it down far enough. And then we think, okay, wait, if I pause and ask myself, do I really want to go for dinner tonight? Or do I want to volunteer at the kid's school? Then we're worried that this can of worms is going to be opened, right? And we're not going to be able to handle ourselves if our desires start running us. I really think that none of us have to be as scared of ourselves as we are. (laughs) We are not going to turn into like gremlins. Remember the movie in the eighties when like, you know, they fed the animals after midnight, right? They turned into the gremlins. Like, I don't think we have to be worried that if we get the thing we want, that we're going to turn into monsters. I don't think we have to be worried at looking what's underneath. I think when we can do that, there are gifts, there's light, there's love that we can share and that we can ask for in a healthier way that's really going to benefit everyone in our lives. So let me ask you this as I'm 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 thinking about my journey and other people that are like me that that it was it was healthier for for a relationship to end. Yes. But and yours was at what seemed like maybe a breaking point and then figured out in in the brilliantly resilient process we tell people to ask you ask yourself do you want to come through broken or brilliant. Now for people like me that was a that was a marriage that had to end or else yes. I was going to be broken the rest of my life, yes. right? 
But for somebody like you, what was the, what was the shift there that your, your relationship went from broken to now? I mean, I could tell the look on your face. It is brilliant. It is. It is. And it's like so much better than when we were dating, like, like the relationship we have right now, we're two humans who we didn't know 20 years ago. Like, absolutely. Right. There was so much growing up to do. We met when we were 21 and 22. Um, Okay. This is what I think happened. I was willing to look at how broken I felt. And I was willing to really feel into that and accept that I was the only one who could start putting the pieces back together. And I did that work solo for a long time in my marriage. Every time I would feel sad about something my husband wasn't giving to me, I would give it to myself. I wrote myself love letters every day. Um, if I was, you know, needed encouragement, if I needed, um, if I needed some sort of validation that like my kids weren't going to be permanently scarred from me yelling about the cornflakes. Um, whatever it was, whatever it is, I would just write myself a letter. I would write myself a letter from my kids or from my husband or from myself or from a pain in the butt coworker who was giving me a hard time. Like I would just give it to myself because I thought, okay, I've been terrified to admit that I even have needs my whole life, you know, especially as a, an athlete in a sport where you're not even allowed to look tired. Um, I really thought that every day my worth could be determined by how well I outthought my body, like how well I ignored what my muscles were telling me, my mind was telling me. So um, I started doing that for myself until I actually started changing from the inside out. I started changing. And when I got to that point, I thought, wow, there's no way I can have a marriage with this man I've been with for 15 years that would equal the brilliance of what I feel inside right now. I really don't think this is possible. So I went to him and there were lots of other times I'd gone to him during the 15 years together. Like every 18 months, I would kind of work myself up to like kind of throw a bit of a fit and like try to make a case (laughs) because me just saying, Hey, I would love more connection. Like it it just, his eyes would glaze over. Like he wouldn't even hear me. My, my joke that's not very funny is that growing up in a Greek Orthodox household, he was trained his whole life to ignore the sound of a woman's voice. So, um, but I just went to him this one day and I said, look, I think maybe we're done here. Like, I think, you know, there are so many things that we've done well together. And I would love to be able to say to our kids, hey, these are the things that mommy and daddy do so well together. These are the things that we don't do very well together, which is like, you know, communication or emotional intimacy. And these are things we want for you all when you are adults, if you're in intimate partnerships. So we're going to separate so that you don't think, oh, but is that like my mom and dad's relationship? No, no, no. We're just going to say it's a blank slate. We hope Mm -hmm. someday to learn from you. When I said that, and I came to it really in my brilliance, when I came to it really in my groundedness and had been doing this work, all of a sudden he heard me in a different way, which was actually kind of annoying because I was excited about, whoa, this is going to be a blow to my ego to get my own apartment. Yeah. Taking an L on the marriage. Like that's embarrassing. Like I'm going to have to, you know, really pull on like my intuition and my higher faculties to get through this. But he just kept changing. And at first I thought this isn't going to, this isn't going to last. But it did, it did, it did. I think in that moment when I came to him just with resonance and he was like, she means what she says. I think in that moment, his fear of being emotionally vulnerable, of knowing if he wanted to partner with me, he was going to have to start doing some of his own work, you know, in order to match me, in order for it to be a match. He realized, damn, 
uh, okay, gig is up. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to like stretch and evolve in this area. I think that fear became smaller than the fear of his family not being in the shape he wanted. I think though, that when you do that, you did all that work to, to be the best version of yourself. In yes. my experience, that either draws people in yes. or it repels the ones that you're not supposed to be near. Absolutely. And relationships fell away too. Um, some really close yeah. relationships fell away completely. Um, and on that, Kristen, I think the key for that is asking yourself <laughs> for the different people in your life when you open up and you're vulnerable and you're honest with them in a way that maybe is scary for you, do they lean in or do they push back? Right. It tells right. you everything you need to know. Yeah. It really tells you, does that person need me to be a certain way in order for them to be okay? Because if that's true, if they, if they really feel like, Ooh, I can only relax if Kristen's this way, or if she appears this way, or if her job's like this, you know, parents, spouses, siblings, like we, we have all these different people who may latch on to the way we present to the world as something that then reflects back on them. When they have that, we are always in a no-win situation mm -hmm. because they think that their satisfaction comes from outside of them. And they pasted that on us yeah. as like, you know, my happiness ticket right here. They better just behave the way I want them to be. And in, un, unconditional love is impossible in that situation. Yeah. Absolutely impossible. So in terms of, of this whole package, mm -hmm. I feel like there there is a way that maybe women have to leave the, and I, I, I don't want to be careful how I say this, that they maybe have to leave the huge emotional histrionics that sometimes we just feel in those situations and, and put them somewhere. And the way you approached your, your kind of breaking point with your husband was from emotion, but also very matter of fact, like, here's what I'm seeing as yeah. opposed to here's what I feel, because I know they say you're always supposed to go, I feel this, I feel that. I don't know that guys get it. Um, You know what? I, I think you're so right in the, I feel X, Y, Z. Um, when you, I feel, and it makes me want to, what, okay. When you have been in the same dynamic and patterns with a partner for a long time, it's like in ear, one ear out the other, it's like cross country skiing. There's like grooves that are so deep that to actually get the skis out and like to forge a new path, the amount of resistance, the amount of, um, inertia that you're going to have to shift to get there. The only way to get someone else there is to climb the mountain and just say, hey, I'm up here now. If you would like to come, I am already on this new path. If you would like to come with me, it's like really great up here. But I don't actually know if if us together are, are made for this dynamic. I'm not really sure. Or you could say, I would really love for you to be here. But like what we cannot do is go down to the level they're at and then try to carry them or convince them that up here is great. We have to actually know ourselves that, oh yeah, I'm not coming back down that mountain. I'm I'm watching my I'm watching my footing. I'm not sliding down. I'm gonna make sure every step I take is taking me further in the direction that I want to go and really modeling for that. And then part of that is not taking the bait on old drama or old conversations. Yeah. 
Because if you have really been giving yourself something new, you're not the same person who used to have that old fight. Right. You're not. I had this skating mentor who used to say to me, who said to me, and then I, I implemented this. She said, Ashley, if you're ever coaching something the same way for two weeks, you're not doing your job. You are not paying attention. If you have not found a better way to teach something in two weeks of working with athletes, if you have not found a better way to teach something in two weeks of implementing ideas and seeing how the athletes react to them, then you're just not paying attention. I think the same is true in your marriage. If you're arguing about the same thing for two weeks, you need to ask yourself, what what is the breakdown in communication here that we haven't been able to get to a solution? If it's something big, like, are we going to move across the country or are we going to do van life or build a house here? Okay. Maybe you need to just, you know, through the seasons, you need to like talk about it, but that's different. I think than like an argument or an issue coming up, um, over and over. It's like, no, 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 we, we have to have some sort of, um, we have to have some sort of initiative to get to the bottom of this instead, or unless we're just deciding that this argument is just a dance we like to do because we like, you know, burning, burning calories this way. Well, getting the, getting the, getting the rush of cortisol when you're actually, you know, in a fight. You said it, the dance we like to do, you get into those ruts of it's familiar. It's, you know, and, and as opposed to the moving up and out of that, of that groove, I want to go back to something that you said earlier, because I really think that for people that are, are trying to get their heads around where they begin with this type of transformation, you said in the beginning, something that we have, um, made a huge focus in the brilliantly resilient process in terms of resetting and setting a new course. And that's to stop looking at things, how you think they should be and to make room for what could be. So I'm imagining you, cause I've been there. I've been there with the, he should be sending me this letter. He should be buying me flowers. Should, 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 should. And you instead said, forget it. I'm going to give it to myself and look at what that, look at what then could be. You know what? And Kristen, the space that you create there, when you want to get down on someone else and blame them and finger point and say, but he should be doing this or she should be doing this. When you give it to yourself, what you're actually giving to yourself is radical compassion for the things that you think you should be doing that you're not. That's where the salve is. That's where the balm is. You you allow yourself to consider, ooh, maybe there is no bad guy here. Maybe Mm. I'm not the bad guy for not doing the things I want to do or not, you know? And then Mm -hmm. when you're, when you're giving yourself that bit of compassion, then it's easier to line up with your integrity. When you are so down on yourself, you really feel like you're a piece of crap. So when you're out of integrity, you're like, this is where I always am. But when you start giving that to yourself, then you start to recalibrate for, oh, this is how good I can feel when I'm actually being honest with myself. Oh, this is how clean things can feel when I communicate something to a coworker or a sibling that that was just honest. And I just said, I would, I would appreciate this. Are you willing to do this for me? And then you can take the yes or the no, because you're really clear about why you're asking. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we have to do that in our easier relationships. Um, and we have to do it for ourselves consistently to then shift the dynamic with the person where it, with whom it's the most fraught. 
We could listen to you. I could listen to you all day, like just literally forever and ever. Unfortunately, we got to wind up. But here's what I want to do. Ask you where, where can people start? Where do they start when they're having those feelings of, gosh, would this be better not here? Yeah. (laughs) Before you just throw the towel in and, and, and not explore before you give yourself the chance to see, as we say, what could be, where do they start? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to give your audience advice that they're going to say, what in the world is she bringing that into this for? Okay. We, in order to live in integrity, in order to have relationships that are built on that, in order to have honesty inside yourself and in your conversations, the words that come out of your mouth, you need to be taking a look at the places that you are dismissing or denying or ignoring what you need already. Okay. How we do one thing is how we do all things. So if you want to create a relationship or a life or just self-care practice where you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a place where people get their needs met. This is a place where people can feel good. This is a place where people are taken care of. What I did, I went as basic as possible. I said, all right, every time I have to go pee, I'm going to stop whatever I'm doing and I'm going to go pee. Mm. I'm going to stop the conversation. I'm going to turn off the stove. I'm going to tell my skaters, you know, do a couple laps, practice that, that turn we were just working on. I'm going to run to the bathroom. And what I realized from that was how many hours of each day I spent with my body saying, Hey, Hey, uh, Hey, and me going not now. Mm -hmm. Okay. If we want to be in touch with our brilliance, if we want to be in touch with our passion, our inner knowing our gifts that we're here to give in the world, we need to pick up every breadcrumb. So if your body says, stop what you're doing right now and go to the bathroom, you obey. You say, got it. I am going to follow the signs for what what my inner guidance wants to tell me. And we're going to get as basic as when I'm hungry, I eat. When I want to, when I'm thirsty, I drink water. When I pee, I call it the life-changing magic of peeing when you need to pee. <laughs> There's the next book it's, title. It's brilliant though, because it's such a basic thing that you have to attend to. And we put it off, put it off, put it off. And it's so emblematic of everything that we do with ourselves. Right. And, and Mary Fran, we put it off because we think what? We think, oh, that can't possibly be the most important thing right now. But let's just play a game where um, we assume that maybe we don't know what's important and what's not. So let's just listen. Let's just listen for what goes, hey, could you take care of me? And you go, yeah, I certainly could. It's only going to take 45 seconds. Okay, well, um, I have to pee right now. So we're going to have to. (laughs) Everybody go pee. Listener, listener. You need to go pee. Now they have to because we've said it so many times. We've said it a million times. Where can we find Swing and hear and learn more about you? Yes. Check out my Instagram. It's Ashley Renard. Ashley is A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H. Renard, R-E-N-A-R-D. Come say hi on Instagram. I have so many great things that I'm excited about right now. In addition to the TV shows, I'm hosting my first Keeping It Hot couples retreat. So check out what upcoming dates are going on. Um, Keeping It Hot, the subscription box. Um, yeah, just just super excited to help couples expand inside and outside the bedroom because it is so fun when couples get a little bit of success working as a team in the bedroom and then they go, okay, 
now I have more willingness to talk about that issue with the dishes that we always fight about, <laughs> you know, because it feels safe. It's like, I don't know, we're on the same yeah. team. So if we just figured out that little puzzle in the bedroom, oh, the kitchen, that's easy. That's a no brainer. That's a no brainer. We can do that. Yeah. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a delightful and really enlightening conversation. Everything that you said um, is so relevant to our audience. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Loved it. Loved every second of it. And there's a really good winery in Hilltown and we're going to meet there one day. Oh, yes. yeah. Please do. There. Yes. Are, everybody. And hey, listeners, if you're in the area, we'll let you know and we'll all have a meet up there. And uh, everybody else do. can- we should do a live podcast interview there. <gasps> Let's do that. Oh my gosh. Hey, so look, fun. from your lips to Hilltown's ears, we're going to have wine there and do a live podcast. <laughs> Let's do it. There you go. Yep. All right, everybody. Make sure you uh, check out Ashley on Instagram and follow Brilliantly Resilient so you get the invite if you're in the area for when we're doing the live podcast. You can come and meet us all. And make sure you go to brilliantlyresilient.net. Blink three times in the magic box appears where you can sign up for the brilliance bit to be delivered right to you because we don't send you looking for anything when we need you to be brilliantly resilient. We'll deliver it to you once a week. See you next time. Bye everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.